Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode on the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. Oh, I'm nervous already because uh, we were just having a conversation and Sia got me pumped up. And so I'm oh, a little gosh. bit out of it. <laughs> but we have a fantastic guest for you today, Sia Sr. And she is a full-time real estate investor who started investing in real estate in 2005 while she was a high school math teacher. And she and her husband had house hacked their first property, flipped eight properties, and then bought some properties the whole long-term for the next 17 years. And currently, they self-managed over 20 units, both single-family and small multifamilies. And they also have another 16-unit asset acquired through a joint venture partnership and 134 units as an LP limited partner. So Sia, thank you so much for being on the show here today. Welcome. And how are you doing? I'm so great. Thank you, Ellie, for having me here. I really appreciate it. I love your podcast. So I feel honored to be on it. Oh, thank you. No, it's our pleasure to have you here today. And I just love your smile and just the energy (laughs) that you're already bringing today. I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, great. That's awesome. So Sia, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you and your husband got started with real estate? Sure. So as I stated before, high school math teacher, my husband was a federal contractor with the government and IT. And so when we purchased our first home, We were surprised. Well, he was mostly like, whoa, my agent made a lot of money and she didn't do much. So we thought, okay, that'd be great. So he decided to get his license. I decided to get it as well because we enjoyed that purchasing process and we thought it would be enjoyable. And so while I was teaching, I got my license as a real estate agent. And for the next couple of years, he and I, I would do it on the weekends and the summers because I was free. We picked up our first property after we moved out of our primary residence and made that a rental. And it was great because, you know, we were getting cash flow. And I was like, wow, I mean, look at this. I still have, we said I had a home, we had full time jobs, and that cash flow coming in from the first rental was awesome. And so we proceeded to pick up a number of other rentals. We were really into Flip. I loved HGTV. So we were able to pick up some properties that were needed some work done um, in the DC and Baltimore area, which is where we live and did those flips with a contracting partner. And then from there, I continued to add to our portfolio until about 2008, he went full-time, six, seven, eight, he went full-time into real estate. And I kept teaching until 2015 when I realized between doing the rentals, showing the properties, managing my three kids and teaching classes, it was a lot to do. So I gave up teaching in 2015 and went full-time into managing our properties and doing the other real estate activities. And so here we are now, we just last year at the end of the year, after networking, connect with some great people to do a joint venture, the 16 unit in Tennessee, and then also do a small LP investment in Houston for 134 units. So it's been a great experience so far. I love it. I want to kind of go back to the very beginning a little bit. When you and your husband first saw real estate as a vehicle to potentially get you to your financial independence and create some more passive income for yourselves... When you decided to get into it, was there a conversation where both of you decided to do real estate together or where one was going to focus on it more than the other? Just kind of curious from a spouse perspective and that conversation, how did that kind of go about and how did that happen? Well, yeah, absolutely. My husband is definitely much more the entrepreneurial spirit. And so me being a math teacher, things are very orderly, very organized. There's an answer for everything. And so being a teacher, I was like, look, this is an easy job. I can have it in the summer. You can go ahead and do real estate and I'll do it on the side. 
but he was really into it. And I think once he recognized the ability of showing the properties and seeing the value in real estate, and we had that first rental that we got the you know passive income from, I think he really was sparked. And so I went along mostly because I was like, yeah, it's good. I love real estate. Why not? But I wasn't convinced enough for the next <laughs> 10 years to actually do it full-time myself. But it was great because we were able to build our portfolio with me having the W-2 when you're doing purchases and we purchased a number of them in our own name with Fannie and Freddie loans, you know, that would be easier to be approved. And so that was to our benefit. So he could bring in the nice income from doing sales in the DC and Baltimore area. And I had a steady income that would satisfy the banks. And so we were able to build in that way. But it was definitely an interesting piece because it was great that I had the steady income because with real estate sales as an agent and then doing flips, like it's feast and famine. So sometimes there's a lot of money coming in and then sometimes they're not. And we having properties during the recession, because we had started purchasing before the recession happened, it was really good for us to kind of experience me still having the job with the struggles that a number of investors and homeowners had with their rentals. So it was a great experience. And it was something that we just were able to work through just because we had that cushion of my job until I decided to leave in 2015. When starting this journey, did you go into it with the goals of being able to leave your full-time jobs later on and go into real estate full-time? Or was it kind of like an evolution as you got more and more deeper involved into real estate that you decided? And when your passive income surpassed your active income and you realized that this is the path that you wanted to pursue, that's when you decided to make that leap. Yeah. I think for me, like he always had the confidence and which is why he left, you know, in 2006 and seven. And for me, I just wasn't as convinced. <laughs> and there was definitely a, a mindset for me of like, okay, I, this is steady income. So no matter what happens with the rentals, if we decide not to sell a couple of real estate sales, not listing and not having buyers, we can still take care of ourselves and the family. And so for me, I needed a significant amount of passive income to come through for it to happen. Part of that too was like my desire to like make sure my family's taken care of health-wise. And so health insurance, especially when you're a public school teacher is like, it's awesome. You know what I mean? Like you pay very little. And so the idea of having to pay for our own health insurance and COBRA was for me, like a big challenge just because I knew we could afford it, but I didn't necessarily want to give up the ease of having that taken care of in case there was an emergency. But I also recognized in talking to him that my time was so spread that I couldn't really give attention and really have the potential to help grow our business if I was managing multiple things. And so after him talking to me a little bit and us, you know, working out and looking at the numbers, recognizing like if I were to go full time into this, we could blow up, which is what we did. <laughs> but I really needed a little bit of encouragement. And I think the last baby too, because, you know, having three kids, I was like, okay, I definitely cannot do all of this. And it was great to be able to be home with my kids a little bit. And so that was part of the encouragement too that happened at that time. How did you manage three kids, a full time job, and your real estate investing business? at the same time while you are doing it all? Because I have two myself and my hands are already full too. So I know how it is, but you have three. Yeah, it was definitely... I mean, there were some crazy times, like a couple of times with the daycare, they're like six o'clock and they're looking for us and we're like, I'm on my way. We did pay a couple of late charges for not getting there yeah, on the time. The late charges but, are expensive. Yes, they are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they are expensive. So we made nice with the daycare providers and stuff like that. So yeah, it was definitely tough. I'm not going to lie. It was a lot to handle. And I think I was a very good teacher, but I could tell I used to give pop quizzes and the kids were like, they get it back the next day. And they're like, okay, great. And I gave a pop quiz and the next day it didn't show up. And the kids were like, where's the pop quiz? You know, did you do it? I was like, oh, I gave you guys a pop quiz. Like I had totally forgotten. I gave it to them. So they were expecting, I could tell I was starting to not be as sharp. And so you have to balance things and figure out what's the priority for you. And so for me, 
although I love teaching, I definitely love teaching math. It was just, I couldn't do it all. And I had to make a choice. And so I chose my family <laughs> and myself, right. And our business. And so it's been good. I do miss it a little bit. So I find ways to kind of educate here and there, but yeah, absolutely. Definitely you got struggle. three young students right in your home. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. No, no, they're not interested in learning from me yet, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm trying and they're like, mom. <laughs> <laughs> it's different when it's coming from your parent versus a, your teacher. So you have a different, different powers of authority. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. So you had mentioned that you had moved out of your primary residence to go in and rented that one out to a rental and turned it into a rental. Where did you end up going and did you purchase another home to be able to do that? Yeah. So we rented out the first home we lived in. We purchased our home that we live in now. So we've lived in that same home since that first property that we purchased. And we still have our first rental. Um, it's our baby, right? The first one. And so, and it's been doing well financially. So we definitely don't see it's letting go of it, but we moved into our primary residence that we live in now and decided to rent that one out. And that was pretty much how that happened. Got it. And then how did you decide to get into the fix and flips? And what were some of the things that you had to overcome when moving into that business model? Right. So for us, we had made some connections with other investors and having done a lot of buyers who needed to have their properties rehabbed, we came into contact with a lot of contractors and we found one that we connected with and really enjoyed. And so whenever we found a deal or he found a deal, we decided to work together as a real estate agent and knowledgeable with investments and him as the one that could fix the property up. And then we would just split the profits. And so that's kind of how we did those flips that we, the first couple of flips, the last couple of flips we did ourselves, but the first couple we did with him and whoever found the deal would bring it to the other group, other person and other team. And then we would work on it together. So that's how we did that. I see. And did both sides contribute to the equity part of it and to be able to do the rehab? Yes, both sides did. He did the rehab and we would pay him from the profit of it. And so he wouldn't expect much coming from us until the job was done. And he was good with that because of the fact that we were trying to turn it as quick as possible. So that was always great to have some kind of a business partner like that, that can do that, right? Can give that piece of it to keep the profit and keep the cost low while you're doing that process. How long did each project take to flip? Yeah. So in most cases, I would say the average was between, depending on the severity, right? Because sometimes we had properties that had mold that we had to completely renovate and get all that mediated and stuff like that remediated. So properties were pretty quick, but a lot of them were pretty heavy lifts. And so I would say the average was six months. We had one that took a little over a year and it just was depending on how much work had to be done to the property. Got it. So... Did you have to face any challenges during any of those flips that it didn't go the way that you had exactly planned? And then how did you overcome that? Yeah. So there were challenges in all of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this flips in a DC area, DC, we're in Maryland and Baltimore. I mean, they're always the case. I think one that I remember mostly was really more of a technical one where we were in a community that we didn't recognize. We were in a county, Prince George's County. And so the county has its own rules. But we were in a town that had like a mayor and we had no idea. I've lived here all my life. And I didn't even know this town had a mayor. And so having a mayor, they have like all these other public offices. And so we didn't know that we needed to register with the little town. And the inspector came through and shut us down. <laughs> and we're like, who is this? This is that from the county, you know, like a surprise inspection. So we had to work through that, which was okay. It just took a little bit longer because if you're a smaller town, especially even in DC area, like they don't meet all the time. Their offices aren't always open. (laughs) So we have to wait until they feel like going into the office. So that was a pain in the butt, but that's just part of the process. And so we just 
it was good that we had a contractor with us because he could still send his guys to other places. And so it wasn't like we were losing money. And I mean, we are, but not in that horribly, right? So they could still be working. And so we just kind of had to like roll with the punches till we could get back in communication with the officials <laughs> and Mia Copa, sorry, kind of thing, you know, and get in line with them. But that was probably the biggest. I mean, the other stuff is when you find things and you just have to kind of deal with it and fix it. But that was probably the biggest one because it was a surprise and something that we did not expect. Did you end up still making a profit on that property? Yeah, we made a profit on all of our properties. And I think that's because of the way we operate. A lot of the properties that we pick up, whether they're long-term holds or the flips that we had, are usually from auctions or they're distressed in some kind of way. And that is just like how we've been operating to make money, right? And so we tend not to buy the ones that are MLS unless they've been on MLS for 60, 70, 80, 100 a year. (laughs) We go for those types of properties because someone doesn't want them for a reason. So we take them. And so that's been our way of purchasing properties in general. So we still made a profit, even though it took a little bit longer. When you're purchasing a distressed properties, it does come with a little bit additional, I would say, love and attention that would be needed for those properties. How did you protect yourselves on that end from a financial standpoint to make sure that you were able to accommodate anything that you might not have accounted for when doing your initial due diligence? Right. So when we're looking at properties, first determine if it's going to be a flip or if it's going to be a long-term hold. And that is how we, you know, once we decide on that, we look at the calculations to see what's the max that we're willing to pay given the worst case scenario. So whenever we purchase a property, we just assume like there's a tenant living in the property. It's sometimes we're able to evaluate the property by looking in the windows and other places <laughs> to get inside to see. And sometimes it's open that we can go in and see. You're like peeking. Um, we, yeah. <laughs> You're like, anybody home? Okay. You know, so we do some of that stuff. I'll be honest to get a look, to get a good idea about like what kinds of things we need to take into account and that we're going to have to fix and that kind of stuff. And so getting a good kind of, and we've done it long enough that we can kind of drive by and say, okay, no HVAC in the back. Oh, there's HVAC and you know, there's the thing in the back. So we are able to evaluate from the outside and sometimes looking in to see how much work might need to be done. And then we go with the worst case scenario. And then that's where we put our max purchase price so that we can still make a profit if the worst is happening. And usually it's not the worst case, which is great, but if it is, then we've accounted for that. So you also self-manage now your long-term hold properties. How do you keep everything organized? And what were some of the things that you had to set up initially to be able to manage all these successfully? Yeah. So initially, my husband was managing. When I was teaching full-time, I would do a little bit on the side, but he was really managing them. And he was trying his best, but (laughs) I had to come in and organize a little bit. You're like, you get a gold star. (laughs) But I had to come in and, you know, new sheriff in town and clean things up a little bit. And so I got us on a software so that we could look at all the rentals and put them in there and manage them online using the software as opposed to a piece of paper and kind of stuff. I communicated with all the residents about the new setup, the new systems, how you can get into the portal and look at things. And so it took a lot of time doing that, right? Onboarding the information and communicating to the tenants about here's how you can file a repair request. Here's how you can see what your balance is. Here's how you can communicate with us. Don't text anymore. (laughs) Use this system here. Don't call us at night, unless it's an emergency, obviously. But just really, and then communicating that with them. And so I think we've been successful because we learned the hard way in the beginning when we only had a couple of rentals and weren't as good at picking the tenants, which was great because I'd rather get those lessons early on and have two or three or four rentals than to have 20 plus and still be learning. So We took our hits with the first couple of rentals and learned our lessons to be able to operate and manage efficiently. We love hosting this show. 
When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So when you're self-managing, you're also dealing one-on-one with the tenants and the communicating aspect of it. How do you deal when there's a miscommunication with the tenants or maybe there was some type of disagreement between yourself as the owner and the property manager versus the residents themselves? Yeah. So we try to minimize that as much as possible. And so we have multiple forms of communication. We're talking on the phone with them. We are communicating via email and sometimes via text, depending on the tenant. And I don't, I'm trying to think of a situation where we had miscommunication. Usually there's not a lot of miscommunication because I err on the side of over-communicating, which I think is really important. I think a lot of times it might be the tenant's decision not to want to hear (laughs) what we're saying, right? And so that's why I always follow up a phone call with a summary email, right? Or in our the portal that we have, we have announcements and I can put an announcement in there or direct it to them. So there's no communication. Sometimes we send letters depending on if they don't have a phone. There are a couple of tenants that we have that don't have phones or don't have them at times or things like that. And so we use that as well as a means of communicating with them. But if there is an issue or miscommunication, it's really more like because I've communicated with them or my husband's communicate with them, we can go back and say, oh, you know what? It looks like there's a problem. This is what I thought we said. Is this not what you heard? And hearing them out and seeing where the issue is and then kind of going from there. Okay, well, let's do it from here. From here, let's do this and let's see how we can solve this. Does this work for you? Okay, because it's something that works for me. And so trying to get us both to come to the same agreement without us being like, this is what's going to be and that's what it is. Because obviously they're human beings, they're tenants and they our residents are important to us and we want them to know that we care, but we also want them to know that there are rules and regulations and policies. And so I try to give it with a little bit of honey to them so they recognize it and see that I'm being sincere. And so there've been very few, I think if there are any, and it's usually just because of random things. I don't think it's anything that's intentional. And I think because we communicate with them, they see we're sincere and it's usually never anything major. So you're also part of a joint venture opportunity as well. How did that deal come about? And how did you come across this opportunity? When we came, started doing a little bit of multifamily, decided we want to go multifamily in 2020, we started joining different groups. And my husband and I joined an underwriting group that we had connected with through someone who was in one of our mentoring groups that we were in. And so we would both go on Thursday nights and go to the underwriting group and connected with some people there. And one of the leaders in the underwriting group was being, she's military and she was being transferred to a different location. And so she started networking in that area and found a deal and brought it back to the underwriting group. And from that connections, we were able to join with them and some of the people in the underwriting group to do the deal. Oh, got it. And so where was the joint venture? Where was this property? It's a 16 unit in Johnson City, Tennessee, 16 unit townhouse development. It's really nice. The owner built them in like the early 2000s. And so uh, he had a bunch of rentals and he was offloading them. 
And Hema Robles, who's one of our partners, had come across it and did the unwriting and brought it back to the group. And we took a look at it and thought that it was a good thing to invest in. And it would be a great start for us in the multifamily space, just because we've been doing single family for so long. But because we were able, because we do self-manage, we thought, I thought at least doing a joint venture with something a little bit smaller with other people could give me a good experience in seeing, comparing how managing all of our units compared to this one asset that has multiple units in it, how that would go. And so it was a great opportunity and we're excited about it. It's doing really well. What about that property made it attractive to you? I think I like the fact that it was a really light value add. There was very little to do to it. I like that when it was presented, we could see that there was a lot of potential in the growth of the rent because it was self-managed. And as a self-manager, <laughs> sometimes we don't do a good job when it comes to increasing the rent. Just I'll be honest. There are times that we should have probably increased the rents on some of our tenants. And we didn't for a variety of reasons, because they weren't systematic, because we connected with the tenants, but we were still being able to be profitable. So we were okay with that. But having joined the multifamily space and seeing like the benefits of systematically increasing rents, we've instituted it now. And so I see that. But I love the fact that there was a lot of potential in rent growth without doing a lot of heavy lift. They were under market in the Tennessee, in the Johnson City area. And so we could see the ability to be able to raise the rents on units that looked really nice and had very little to work with and still do a profit, have a nice profit line and do it in a manner that we wouldn't have to do turn them and get them up to market rent in a month or something like that because we had some time and we had some leeway because they were still cash flowing when we purchased the property. So it was a great asset to pick up. How many partners were on this joint venture? I think we have about eight or nine of us in the group. Okay. And so you guys built up the relationship through that underwriting meetup. Yes. I met with a couple of people and I, the lead person, I knew her for over a year connecting with her. And for me, that was important to really know my partners. And she and I got to know each other pretty well and connected with some of the other investors in there. And what's been great, we all take different roles of doing what we have to do to keep the property managed well. And I'm actually getting ready to start looking at some refinance options because that's my job. <laughs> and I'm excited about that because it's been doing really well that we're looking to see what our options should be for exiting if we're going to exit. Because one of the benefits I think I like about the joint venture is that it's something you can just keep as a legacy property and hold forever. So we're looking at that and I'm getting started to do that piece of it, which is exciting. Well, once you do the refinance <laughs> and are able to get your principal back, then it's infinite returns from there, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm hoping that everyone is in agreement and keep with that. But that's what happens when you joining a group, whether it's two people or more, like everyone needs to agree and everyone needs to come to an agreement on everyone comes from a different place. And so what they might decide is good for them and their family might not be the same that you decide for yourself. And so hopefully when we come together as a group to decide how to exit or if to exit the property, we can do it in a manner that helps and benefits everybody. You're also part of a limited partnership on 134 units. How did you come across that one? Yeah. So same thing, like another networking group that I was in and this opportunity came through. It was it had been out for a while and I knew the operator, one of the operators, and I wanted to experience a little bit LP. I've been operating and doing my own units for a while. And so I actually, it was a big move for me to do the joint venture and the LP all in the same month, just because <laughs> I'm used to being in control. And so the idea to give any part of control, right, to somebody else was big for me. And I wanted to be intentional about that. And so my husband and I, we I've been working with a coach for a little over a year and having him talk to us and getting our mindset clear on like any kind of limiting beliefs we had about like being able to work with other people 
yeah, we're a team, but we're pretty much, we're married. So, you know, it's not (laughs) like we have anybody else there, right? So like to have someone who's not related (laughs) be in our group was a big push. And I really want us to kind of get out of just the two of us. And so I thought it was a great opportunity to do something where we could invest however small, however little that we wanted to, but still take that big step of like giving control over <laughs> to somebody else. So it's been good. <laughs> it's nice. It's actually kind of nice. I've, you know, when people are like, oh yeah, LP passive, I'm like, who wants to be passive? But I can see the benefit of it now where you just have somebody else operate that. And I think it's great because it's a little bit larger than I'm dealing with now. And so I get to just kind of experience that piece of it. That's something that we hope to do in the future, you know, where we do some syndications just to kind of help people in our community who want to be able to invest in those things. So I I think it's going to be great to be able to have this experience so that I can know what to expect and how to communicate with our investors when they come up. So what are you most excited about coming up in the near future here? Oh, what am I excited about most? I think I'm excited most about being able to... I've been really working on communicating with what we've been doing in my different social media platforms. I've started a Wednesday, twice a month Wednesday webinar for people that I know and their friends about real estate and just educating them on this piece. Because there are a lot of people that, especially as teachers and as government workers who have no idea about this. And so we've been really committed to kind of making sure we communicate and inform people and educate them on the different options and opportunities that are available to them so that they can make a choice, right? To see what's available to them and if they're willing to do that and just providing education to prep them so that they can learn from our mistakes or learn and get prepared to invest in something like real estate. See, look at that. You are teaching high school math students and now you're teaching investors. Oh gosh. <laughs> you're still teaching. Yes, yes. And that's the exciting part. I definitely, I'm glad that's probably what I was missing the entire time when I was just doing the rentals was being able to communicate and educate on something. And so it's a little bit of math, but it's a lot of just like the overall picture and just helping people see the opportunities that are out there. Cause I don't think that that is told enough. So, yeah. <laughs> and so how has real estate investing impacted your life so far, Sia? So I think it's been, the impact has been incredible. I think that we're blessed to be able to financially support causes that we believe in, support family members that might need help, support people that are in need and provide a great foundation for our kids. And so for me, real estate has opened up a lot of opportunities that I think are going to be helping generations, whether it's generations of our family or people that we communicate with and inform and help educate to get into this. So it's been awesome. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? So the one thing I wish I knew was that you know, I needed to start sooner. <laughs> I'm really kind of like, I could just see the missed opportunities from my limiting beliefs and not being like, oh, real estate, that's very risky. And just recognizing that had I been a little bit more informed and educated, like I would have started much sooner and we would be much further along than we are now, which we are okay. But time is really on your side when you start early. And so that's what I've been doing, communicating with my students and my kids and letting them know that today is the day to get started. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate? I think successful people in real estate are the ones that continue and commit to their goals, whether it's through highs and lows. When we were investing in real estate and we first started out, things were really nice, 2005, 2006, and then came the recession. But we kept doing what we had organized and committed to ourselves in the beginning. And so we kept investing, we kept operating even though times were tough. And so I think that's what made the difference in people who are successful because even through the tough times, you stick with your goals and your plans 
and you just roll with the punches. And if it means you have to stop for a second to kind of pick everything up and get going, that you continue through that challenge. And so successful people keep going. I want to ask a quick follow-up to that really quick about, especially when you're on this entrepreneurship journey, real estate investing, sometimes, well, oftentimes you're going to come across things that don't go as expected. You're going to face disappointment, challenges, financial hardships. For you, what keeps driving you to move forward and to look to go past those hardships and keep your eyes on the future and what could be? Right. So I think for me, the biggest thing is whenever we ran into an issue, whether it be with the rental property or a flip or just the real estate, you know, the real estate market in 2008, you know, was just the knowing that like, okay, tomorrow's a new day. And so I am able to the next day, tomorrow, do something to impact my future. And so for me, that was the biggest thing, like recognizing that, like, yes, we've had some rough stuff. Oh, this was a bad day yesterday, but what can we do different today to make up for that one or to address that one so we can continue on? So that's probably the biggest thing I would say. Awesome. Well, Sia, for our listeners out there who also want to join you on this journey, learn more about what you're doing in the space, where's the best place that they can go? I think the best place is our website, which is arrowheadcap.com. We have a couple of resources on there, the webinars I talked about. I also have a Facebook group, the Sage and Stewart Real Estate Investing, which talks about wise investing and being good stewards of what you get when you're investing. And so that would be a great place to find me. Also on LinkedIn, see a senior. I like to post there sometimes too. So that's also a great place to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sia. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I'm so glad that we got to meet and connect. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.